Thanks, Josh. Hope you guys are paying attention to the words. We don't have hymn books that we sing from very often. So they put these words up there on the screen, and there are some amazing messages in the words of the songs that you just sang. Some amazing hope about who you are and who God is. So don't take it for granted. We prayed before we came out. Uh, My prayer this morning was that God would lead us into the kind of worship that, that really honors Him, that we recognize that this time together, all of it, all of this time, is really worship to God. In our fellowship, in our singing, you know, worship to God is not just singing songs. Worship to God is something that's in your heart when you give back, and one of the ways we demonstrate that is through singing, but it's in everything we do, and, and we have to recognize who it is we're worshiping and how awesomely holy He is and how in charge of everything He is and what a privilege it is to be able to come in in the presence of God and spend this time together. So hopefully you recognize that and take advantage of it and appreciate it. Can I have my kids? Or those of you that are just kids at heart, we'll do that. Oh my, I bent everything. How are you guys doing today? Sure nice to have you again. I can't wait for um, a couple weeks. We're going to have Kids Jam again. I'm really looking forward to that. <clears throat> you may be seated. So, we're going to start over here. This will all make sense in a minute, maybe. Okay. I have spots for everything. Yeah, we, we have to, well, let's see. We'll, we'll put some of these out here, some of the outliers. I want to get these other ones in there where we can really see. Now, how do you like to be loved? Do you like it? Yeah, I like it. Now, I know most of you, I know all of you, and I know your families, and I know you're loved by your family. How great is that, right? Isn't it nice to know that your mom and dad love you and that they're there and they're going to take care of you? Um, God made us to need love. That's the way he made us. And sometimes in this life, we don't get as much of it as we want. But I know you guys are very blessed by not only, I don't know if you're going to know this, but you have a family that loves you. I know that. But if you were to turn around, you'd see a bigger family who also loves you. Yeah. We're very fortunate to be here. Um, I have some of these things. <clears throat> so this is what us or you now, it's hard to read some of these. After I got in and looking at them here in this morning, I thought, well, I wonder if you could really read that. I probably should have put um, the white paper on everything, but I didn't. So this is us. Okay, and this one says what? What do you guys can read it? It says love. This is love, right? Okay, so this is, the, this is the container of love, and this is us, and do we have any in there? 
We have a little bit in there, don't we? God created us that way. Even people who don't know God get to love some, right? Now, i got to check my, my things again. <clears throat> Most of the time, oh, here, here's something else. As much as we need to feel loved, God tells us it's just as important to love. Kind of funny. What, what do you think? It's nice that your parents love you and your church family loves you and God loves you. Do you think it's important for you to love back? Yeah. It's a two-way relationship, and it really isn't as good when they just love you and you don't love them, right? Okay, so we get some love when we're born. We get we're in little bodies, and God gives us some love, and, and we usually give that love out, right? We, and so we give it out mostly to our family, right? They get a lot of it, and they should. And our friends, is that friends? Yeah. And then we save a little bit for people we dislike. Okay. Now, do these other categories get much love from us? Oops. People that are like us. Which one did I drop? People that don't like us or that are not like us and are enemies. And then I dropped one. People we don't know. All right. So, we get this, we got this love. And most of the time, we give it to our family, we give it to our friends, and we give it to people we like. But most of the time, people we, that are like us, they might get a little bit. And people that we don't know, they don't get very much. And people we don't like, they hardly get any. And then our enemies, no way. Right? Okay. Because that's how human love works. We would call that, it's conditional. I have to know you. I have to like you. You can't have really hurt me or done wrong things to me, because otherwise, man, <clears throat> no love. So, there's a different kind of love. We're going to color it different so you recognize that it is different. Okay. Can you be my guy today? Come up and stir. I, I love it. I love embarrassing him. All right. Now, what color is it? It's kind of reddish orange. Thank you very much. You did an excellent job with that. Mom? Yeah. He can stir. All right. Okay, so I'm going to say that now... This is supernatural God love. Now, do you know that that's a different kind of love? God, God love has agape love. There's a lot of different words for love, a lot of different words for love in the Bible. And we, we, we kind of associate it with a lot of things. Sometimes in our culture, we get it, we get it wrong. And it's just this wonderful feeling when I see somebody that is really attractive and I, I fall in love. I'm, I'm deeply in love with them, but that isn't really what God's talking about. This is supernatural love. Agape love. How many of you remember that one from Kids Jam? Agape, right? Agape is the God love. We used to sing a song when my kids were little, Welcome to Agape Land. What was that? Salty the Songbook. Yeah. Agape. Welcome to Agape Land. Welcome to Agape Land. Anyway, so 
<clears throat> what we really need, because what happens is when we give our love out, we run out sometimes. I mean, maybe we get a little, God gives us a little bit more. But what we really need is God love. That's what we need. That's what God says. And so in fact, he gives us this commandment. And one of them, a lawyer, was asking Jesus some questions, and he said, Teacher, or to Jesus, which is the greatest commandment in the law? And Jesus said to him, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and all your mind and all your soul. And this is the greatest and first commandment, and the second one is just like it. You should love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments depend all the law and all the prophets. What Jesus was really saying was, guess what? It's great to be loved by God. <coughs> But in order for you to really be fulfilled, you need to love God with everything you have and then love others. And that's hard for us to do. In fact, it is impossible for us to do on our own. So if we would like to fulfill the greatest commandment, which I'm going to tell these people later, is really what heaven's about. That's really what heaven's about. Everything else is going to be gone. All the bad stuff's going to be gone. And all we're going to do is love God and love each other. Wonderful thing. Okay, we'd like to get there a little ways in this life today. So we need God's love. How do you suppose we're going to get this into that? Good, good answer. He says pour it. Okay. <clears throat> Unfortunately, there's a lid on there a little bit because this little person is broken and got separated from God. So there's a way to get God love into this person, and it has to come through this. What's that say? Jesus. So the only way God is going to pour his love into us is because it comes through Jesus. So we're going to try this and hopefully not spill. All right. So here we are. Here's the God love, and here's the, here's the little us. Oh, ho, 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 ho. Jesus opens the door to God's love for our life, and in it goes, and we fill it up. Okay. In fact, it says we put God in there. God says, in my Holy Spirit's going to live inside you. So now, now, not only am I going to be able to give love to my family and people I like and my friends, I can also start to love people. Eh, yeah, I like people that look like me. Oh, oh, no, I'm out. We have a solution for that. Because I got more. And now I get to love people that are like me, people who I don't even know. Oh, no. Oh, no. Really? Do I have to love people that did me wrong and hurt me? Yep. God says, I can even help you do that. And so I'm going to allow you and help you to even love your enemies. Well, I ran out of love, God. Hey, that's okay. We have a solution for that. In fact, this is never-ending. And if we want to really love, to really experience what it is to love God and love others, we have to be constantly refilled by God. And, and, and it's an, an unending supply. And so we never have to go without love or say, gosh, you know, God, I'm trying my best to love people, but there's, I'm, I'm all out. God says, no, no, 
I put my spirit in you, and with him comes love. We talked about that in the fruit of the spirit. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, gentleness, faithfulness, goodness, self-control. Right? So, is loving others a good thing and loving God? Yes. Do you, are you afraid you're going to run out of love and not have enough for everyone? Hopefully not, because the Bible says, nope, we got an unending supply from right inside us, the Holy Spirit. And... Yeah, yeah. Who are you going to save something, Ben? So that's what we know, and it's really important. We want to fulfill God's greatest commandments. In order to do that, we have to open ourselves up to receiving God's love. But you know the other thing that we also get to do? We love God back. And as soon as we do, we create room for God to fill us up again a wonderful thing it's nice to be loved it's really nice to be loved but it's also really great to love back and that's how we do it because god has given us the ability because most of the time quite frankly it's very difficult for us as humans to love the way god wants us to love in fact it is impossible on our own but thankfully we have the holy spirit so now we get to go out so how are you going to practice it how are you guys going to practice it practically because you know, this is agape love, which means I'm loving in action, not just, not just I'm sitting over here looking at your picture and having really good thoughts about you. I'm actually going to love you in word and in deed. So we've got to try that, right? You can, you guys, you can, you, we can probably all do better loving our families, but then we've got to take it out into the rest of our, to the, to our people outside of our friends, people we don't know. All right? I know you can do it. Thank you for your patient attention. You guys, I think, have class downstairs today. Thank you for coming up. And as is the case, that lesson is for you. Every week. I disguise it as a kid lesson, but it actually is for us. Loving God and loving others. Hopefully this is making sense to you, living the biblical worldview and how important that is. And there were six different ways of looking at things. We're going to talk about them. We're still on how am I viewing God. Um, Despite what our culture might be telling you, despite what you think, maybe, there is an ultimate reality. There is an absolute truth. And it affects every area of your life. There is an absolute reality that every human being lives in. Um, fortunately or unfortunately, I don't know, maybe it's God's plan, but you know, a lot of it is not obvious. A lot of the reality that you live in, there's a complete spiritual reality that you don't see any of. You don't see it. Um, you can't weigh it. There's a lot of things that are true about your life and the, and the world that you live in and your future. So we, we have those things, right? How do I see myself? How do I see God? How do I see others? How do I see the world I live in? How do I see the circumstances in my life? How do I see my future? All of those things have a reality 
That's true. And, and it's going to affect your lives in massive ways. But some of them you can't see. In fact, the, the biggest portion of the things that are the most important, you can't reach out and touch and see all the time. But are they important? Yes, they're very important. You could say, well, I don't believe in God. That would be very important. And, and okay, I can't see God. I don't, I, I'm going to say, um, it's very important, right, to understand the true reality. How do we do that then? Well, God has given us some things. He's given us His Word and His Holy Spirit to help us understand and interpret His Word that gives us the reality of those six things at least. How do I see God? How do I see myself? How do I see others? How do I see my world? How do I see the circumstances in my life? How do I see my future? And there is a very descriptive and complete view of all of those things in Scripture. But we have a problem. We have a problem understanding it. Am I seeing it right? Because if I don't see it right, I'm probably going to live it wrong. Okay, if I don't see it right, if I don't understand who God is and what I can expect of Him and what He will do, what He won't do, and if I don't understand that the world, how excessively broken the world is that I live in, or if I don't understand how excessively broken I am, or if I don't understand exactly why these things happen in my life that are so painful and so hard and so difficult, if I don't understand where I'm going, then I am not going to live out or experience the abundant life that God made available to me once He reconciled me back to Himself. Hence this, this series. Let's talk about these things that are absolutely true, starting with, how should I really see God? There are things in the Bible that tell us who God is. I gave you these a couple weeks back. I gave you scriptures to go along with them, and I gave it in a handout so you could take it home because we weren't going to go through them all to understand that God is these things, not only is these things, but, but many other things, but these are the things I picked for this particular series. So I'm hoping at this point we all agree this is true. This is who God is. Okay, this is some of the things God does. God has, has love. God has grace. God has mercy. God has creative ability. God has patience and long-suffering. God has judgment. God has wrath. And he demonstrates those things, not all at once necessarily, and not to everybody the same way necessarily, but those are what God does. So who God is, what God does, these are biblical truths that help me see correctly the God that I have. Any questions? I don't know. This, can you really ask that and expect an answer in a, in a group like this? Probably not. But well, think about it. What questions might I have? I'm, I'm seriously thinking about having a question and answer time again where you could bring some questions and we'll talk about them. But for now, no, just take my word for it. It's in Scripture. I gave you the Scriptures. Look them up. And there's plenty more. 
Ground yourself in the person, this personhood of God that you're serving, that is actually in control of everything, and is, is, is going to be the one who determines your destiny and has wonderful things in store for those of you that are his children. You should really ground yourself in that and understand it. Why do I say that? Because we have this problem. We have a major problem. It's the problem of pain. The problem of pain. And we go back and we look at the list. We look at the list of this thing that says, oh, God is completely powerful and, and in charge of everything. He knows everything. He's seen everything. Everything has to be either caused by God or allowed by God. He, he sees the end from the beginning. He's been from the end to the beginning. He's eternal. He created everything. Therefore, he has the total prerogative to do things his way. And he's this God that loves perfectly loves, but he's also perfectly holy, perfectly just, and he does exhibit his wrath at times. But, but I'm trying to reconcile God. Why, if, if you're all those things and you truly do love those who are yours and I'm one of yours, why is life so hard? Okay, so we answered last week. Hopefully you remember that. The biggest, and fun, biggest fundamental question of all time in regards to the life we live in and who, and who we, it is we serve. God, if you are so great, so powerful, so wonderful, so loving, so in control of everything, seeing the end from the beginning, why did you create a plan where everything went off a cliff? Did we talk about that last week? Yeah, I, I, did I offer you some help to understand what that, the answer to that question might be? Anyway, I'll give you some scriptures. The answer is God's perfect. The answer is there are aspects of his attributes he's exhibiting that required something less than being perfect. Okay. That is one of the greatest, if not the greatest, theological question that man has tried to deal with throughout his existence after the fall. God, if you are so great, in control of everything, why did you allow sin to occur? Because it's very, very difficult harmful, and painful. Okay, so we're all inside of us as we become Christians. And if you haven't become a Christian, that's the very first thing if you want to experience any of this stuff is you have to give yourself to God through Jesus Christ. Okay. But once you become a Christian, and then we start asking ourselves, and trust me, the questions are out there whether you're a Christian or not. Watching a particular interview uh, with a guy who was kind of a street evangelist, and he had a big crowd on a college campus, and he was talking to them about Jesus. And a guy comes up, and he's obviously disturbed, angry. And he starts flashing questions at the guy. And the guy's trying to handle it in a very calm way and be nice. But he said, you tell me about God, and I'm going to ask you, why did he allow six million Jews to be exterminated? In concentration camps. Why did he allow 9-11? Why does he allow children all over the world to die of disease and starvation? If that's the God that you serve, I want nothing to do with him because I don't think he cares a lick for us. How would you answer that, man? That's right. 
We live in a fallen world. Now, so those, but those are, those are questions that, that burrow into the root of who we are at times when we have a problem with pain. The pain of brokenness. I'm going to say, okay, have you ever felt feelings? Have you ever felt that you don't really know God at all? I mean, or that you don't really know God? I mean, you heard about Him and everything, but I, you know, I have relationships with friends and all that, and I don't feel the same about God. I don't. I have family, and I love them, and you know, you say you got to love God and know God and all that, but but man, there are times when I just feel like, man, I don't know you at all, God. And why is that? Probably because of some of the other things, right? Or that I'm disappointed with God, or God is disappointed with me, or I'm angry with God, or I believe God is unfair, God has abandoned me, God can't be trusted, He doesn't really care about me at all, He doesn't really love me, and most of the time He doesn't see me or hear me because here I am and I'm going through all this stuff and I'm talking to Him and nothing happens. Okay. Almost everyone, if not all those, are a response to some kind of pain in your life. I don't know if you've ever felt any of these. I'm not even going to tell you how many of these I could check off on my list. The problem of pain. We live with a, in a world that's created by a God who's supposedly in control of everything and loves us so much. Why in the world, God? Okay, we understand why you had the sin exist in the first place. But but then but then we belong to you. Why don't you why don't you save all that other pain for, for the people that aren't yours? Okay, so I understand the anger of the man who looks at the world without having God and is angry when somebody tries to tell him there's a God who loves you, who's in control who knows everything, and he's just a wonderful, great God. Yeah? Well, and he allows this. I don't want anything to do with him. When pain happens, whatever it is, whatever it is, right, whatever the pain is, whether it's from any, any, any sort of problem in your life, it's the problem of pain, and where is that pain going to lead you? Okay, talked about this, which I now recognize that God gives me Saturday morning men's breakfast so I can practice my sermon for Sunday. Wouldn't you know, this is the topic that was up yesterday morning. Where does your pain lead you? Does it lead you towards God? Or does it lead you away from God? If you have an unrealistic, inaccurate view of God, it's going to lead you to feelings like this. Now, I won't say I was accused, but, but it did sound like it because I didn't clarify myself completely. This does not in any way judge people who are grieving trials. What I'm going to say, God wants us to become more intimate with him through the trial. But he also recognizes that pain's reaction most of the time is emotional. 
not cognitive up here, right? Intellectual. Okay, God, yeah, this is a really, I can see what you're trying to do. I understand your promises that I'm using everything to get, working everything together for my good. And that, gosh, I should consider it pure joy when I go through these trials because they're testing my faith and I'm being grown and make more mature in you. Oh, thank you, Jesus. Now, God wants us to get there eventually. But he also recognizes in the midst of the pain, most of the time we just have a lot of sorrow. And sometimes we feel sorry for ourselves. And, and sometimes it, it overwhelms us like a flood. And we just need someone to... I mean, we can't even process life. At times, it's so hard. And God knows that. Um, read the book of Job. We're going to probably go through the book of Job. You'll see the, pro, the, the steps of, of Job's processing his issues. And, and so there's a, there's a bunch of whining. There's a bunch of questioning. There's a bunch of, oh, why me's? And eventually God comes around and, 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 and his friends aren't helping him out either. But eventually one friend does and kind of helps him get the right perspective. So, but, but where is your pain leading you? Because without the correct view of God, you're going to start questioning that God is not really who he says he is. And that will not lead you towards God. When you were saved, <clears throat> actually, before you were saved too, you were on a spiritual journey from being an object of God's wrath to first being reconciled when God sent his Holy Spirit to open your eyes, open your heart, Help you be reborn, accept the message of the gospel, and become saved. Then you started on a spiritual journey to be changed. Okay. And, and God is saying, within this process is pain. Because trials are a wonderful tool for making you the way I need you to be. The way you need to be in order to be happy and satisfied. Not happy, I'll take happy out of it. To be satisfied and find joy... You need to be spiritually mature. So I'm going to give you these trials in your life. And in fact, you're going to see them all over the place. And, and some of them are horrendous. But if you will respond the way that, that I, my, I, I'm giving you the ability to, they are going to bring you closer to me, not farther away. But, but if you continue to only respond emotionally because you are an emotional being, can you trust your emotions to give you the true answer? No. But if we live in these feelings very long, we're going to find ourselves not being led towards God through the pain that I experience in my life, but led away. So how do I not resent God, and how do I find joy through the painful occurrences in my life as quickly as possible so that I can have the abundant life that Jesus promised when he came. Okay. That's why we're talking about these things. Because some of these things are not unseen, are, are unseen and they're counterintuitive and they're against the emotional responses that are usually first. I need to go then to the truth of Scripture to find the right view 
of my circumstances and God and myself and my world and my future and other people so that I can begin to respond or get out of the emotional responses as quickly as possible to find the truth of Scripture that leads me towards God. If you don't, you're going to waste a lot of your life experiencing anger, resentment, frustration, hopelessness that God doesn't want you to have. So how can we do it? Well, this is what we're trying to do. We're trying to figure out exactly what it is God has in mind for us here so that we can respond the right way, so that our pain will lead us towards God instead of away from God because life is going to have pain. If you're not in it right now, you're going to be. So then we have these questions. Now, I'll read the questions. You can see them there. Why does sin and evil exist? We answered that one last week, right? We answered that one last week. You see the same kinds of emotions in these questions that were in the have you ever felt slide. The same kinds of thing. God, I'm angry with you. God, I'm disappointed with you. God, I, I feel abandoned by you. God, you know, all those things. So why did sin and evil exist? We kind of answered that. And why is that the first question? Why is it the most important? Because from that, the fact that there is pain and, and that everything is broken that you know of and that God still is who he is helps us to find the correct biblical answers to the rest of the questions. If I can reconcile that, yes, there's a God, yes, he's in control, yes, he loves me, and yes, there's still pain. Okay. I don't like it, but I understand it, and I can still worship the God of the Bible and still understand it. But all of the other emotions that were listed on on those feelings on that other list lead us to these questions in a non-biblical way many times. Why is life so harsh and painful? What do you think that? What, what, sort of, what sort of feeling do you think generates a question like that? I'm frustrated. I'm angry. Uh, I feel let down by God. Because I, this is an emotional response. Even though I go back and say, well, yeah, intellectually I've answered the first question. I understand there's, there's evil. But why does it have to happen to me? God, I love you. Why does it happen to me? I'm mad. Why is life so hard? I get it. It's broken. But why does it have to be this broken for me? Why does life seem so unfair? Why doesn't God just fix it all right now? I guess guess there's a different one. Why doesn't God just save everybody right now? Why Why does he allow some not to be saved and others to be saved? Why does the God of the Old Testament seem so mean? And why doesn't God just fully reveal? Why doesn't he just come out and show himself? Come on down, you know, do a couple miracles, part some seas again, whatever you got to do to get everybody's attention and say, here I am, I'm God, I'm in control, you need to come to me. All of those are questions that the world has, and sometimes we have as Christians. We're going to go through these things. Why is life so harsh and painful? That's where we're going to start today. Why is life so harsh and painful? Before I do that, I want to share with you another reality. 
And I don't know why. I don't, it almost seemed like this was an epiphany for me this week as I was studying this. And you're going to think, well, it, duh. Everything in your life, except for one thing, is going to die, going to break, going to wear out, it's going to get lost, it's going to crumble, it's going to decay, it's going to let you down, it's going to become unfulfilling to you, it's going to be not enough, it's going to run out, it's going to run out of your life, it's going to hurt you, it's going to disappoint you. It's going to ridicule you. Every single thing in your life eventually will prove painful, unproductive, and unsatisfying except one thing, God. That's it, people. In this life, everything else is broken, tragically, horribly broken. And in the end, that's going to be the conclusion. We can look out into our world and see people striving for all kinds of things, and I can guarantee you, in the end, none of it's going to work to give you what you need. None of it. Stuff, experiences, people, money, fame, you name it. Or get this, or somehow I'm going to you know, get out of the painful things if I just create my, you know, the security for myself and put a little island around myself and have enough resources to keep all the... No. Every single thing in your life will eventually hurt you. Run out, break, die. The people you love, one of the two of you is going to die first. And it's going to hurt. I know that for a fact. What's my point? Well, my point is, why in the world are we messing around with really going after anything but finding God? If God is really the only thing in this life, in this brokenness that we live in, that's actually going to never fail, never disappoint, never hurt me, now, will he allow me to have pain yet? Is working everything to my good, is never going to run out, never going to change, never going to lie, never going to cheat, never going to steal from me, all of those things. Why am I pursuing anything but that? If it isn't at the top of your list to say, God, what I really need, what I really need, I have a lot of problems and there's a lot of pain. I have all these goals and all these things in my mind and the things I'd like to do and accomplishments and things I'd like to experience. But if God, having a relationship, an intimate relationship with God, is not at the beginning of everything, then you are looking for dissatisfaction. None of it is going to work out to give you what you're expecting to get out of it. Why does that just, like, ring a bell with me now? God, I can look back at my life and see I've always wanted you in my life, and I've always wanted you to be a part of my life, and I've always wanted to be your child, you know, since I was saved at 12 years old. But only recently did I say, and guess what? This is by far the most important thing for me to experience the abundant life. I have to seek relationship with you above everything else all the time. Okay, so 
How do I get there? Well, I need to have a proper view of what the Bible tells me is the reality of all those areas of my life so that when I experience pain, I can respond the way God would like me to respond. Because I'll know. I'll know. Yeah, this hurts God, but I know you're working for my own good, and I know you're trying to mature me. And yes, I didn't get this thing that I really wanted, but guess what? I know you're in control and your plan's better than my plan. And I, I understand, I see this pain that's going on over there, and I know that it, it hurts me to see the people I love, you know, in pain, but I know that, that you have a plan for everybody's life. I know you're working all these parts together, and I am going to then, after the pain goes away, I'm going to go to that spot. But if I don't have that assurance, if I don't have that information, if I don't have that knowledge, if I don't have the true biblical reality, how can I ever get there? Or maybe I'll wander around for a long time in a non-biblical response to the pain that I'm going to experience and continue to experience. I mean, I experience it every time I wake up. My back hurts. Okay. So we're going to answer these questions. I'm hoping then that the answers to these questions will help you to evaluate real life experiences in your life and say, how do I reconcile this with the true reality of Scripture? This is a training session. It's already really late. So I'm pretty sure I'm only going to get to the one question. I prepared two, but I doubt we'll get there. Okay, so... Why does sin create such a harsh and painful existence for all of us? Why does sin, which then equaled or created separation from God and brokenness, why does that create such a horribly harsh environment in which we live. Now, let me go back to the guy. Now, we didn't live through this, and I know it's harder, although as we were looking at things on Internet and whatever, you can start to take a look. Take a look. Um, I'm, I'm not being political, not taking any sides, but if you saw the pictures coming from the Gaza Strip, Regardless of what those people's, who they were, what, what their motives are, you, you're, you're in your house, and you're five years old, and all of a sudden there's a massive explosion, and everybody in your family is dead. Now, again, I'm not picking sides. I'm just saying. <clears throat> and then you go outside, and you see rubble everywhere you used to live, even though it might have been, you know, hey, it's the fault of the people who did this. That's why this is a consequence. No, doesn't matter. Life can be horribly, 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 horribly painful. Now, we don't have to necessarily go through that, right? But we can look out and see now. And you look back and, and answer the guy's question, why did God allow six million people to be exterminated by one madman with a bunch of helpers? I don't know, but I know this. Life can be extraordinarily hard. And for a lot of people, way worse than ours. I mean, how many of you got up wondering, gosh, I just really have no idea how I'm going to eat today? A third of the world gets up thinking that. Okay, 
So I look out and I say, I mean, maybe not me, maybe not my life. I have my own, and you, so do you. But I know this can be really difficult. Why do you think that is? I'll tell you why. When things are separated from God, the source of everything that is good, that's what happens. When evil comes to earth in the form of Satan and his angels, and he has one goal, to destroy anything that's like God, he's angry. When we see the brokenness, when things are separated from the source of everything that makes it good, this is what we get. Now, did God completely, I mean, he could have said, okay, you guys sinned, could have done a couple things, could have just evaporated you all, let's start over. Adam and Eve, Satan, you're done. No? Okay. He could have just said, well, okay, I'm going to completely boot you out. I'm never going to have any contact with any of you ever again. I'm going to put you somewhere over here in, 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 at the corner of reality somewhere else where I never have to look at you again, and I'm going to start and do something else. No, you didn't do that. And so are there things in this life that are still good? Where God says, I'm going to let, I'm going to let sunshine on the good and the evil. I, I, they're going to experience some good things. They're going to see the beauty of my creation. They're, they're going to have love ex- experiences with other people. Even though they're, they're, they're sinners and they're separated from me spiritually, I'm still going to have some mercy, some love that's going to show to them. Um, why did God do that? I don't know. But he, he extracted himself enough that horrible evil is not only possible but prevalent. And not only do non-believers, non children of God experience it, but so do the children of God. God has a plan for both, though, and it's different. No promises to those that aren't belonging to God, as far as I'm not necessarily going to use this trial for your good, uh, I'm not necessarily going to protect you, I'm not necessarily going to preserve you, I'm not necessarily going to give you comfort and joy. Uh, I'm promising that to my kids through these experiences, but I'm not exempting them from these experiences. Why is life so harsh and painful? It is the result of the retraction of the goodness of God. So God says, I am forming a way for you to be back connected with me. And during that time, there's going to be ways for you to live through this and find me, even though it's still going to be hard. So let's look at some scriptures. John 3, 19 and 20. Why is it that this life is so hard? And this is the judgment. The light has come into the world. Who's the light that he's talking about? Jesus. And people love the darkness. My goodness, what a shock. Rather than the light, because their works were evil. For everyone who does wicked things hates the light and does not come to the light, lest his work should be exposed. So here we are, and we wonder why life is so hard. Because that which is broken loves the dark. That was one of the consequences of the fall. When everything was broken, including creation itself was broken. And it's loving it. I don't want the God to be in 
my world or my light because when it shines on me, it exposes the evil things that I do, and I hate that. And so we're going to kill Christians, and we're going to slaughter people who believe in God, and we're going to belittle them, and we're going to persecute them because, frankly, we are children of the devil. If you're not a child of God, then you belong to someone else. And what did they do with the very light of the world that was coming to provide hope? Killed them. Okay, so is it any, 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 here's God, God himself, perfect, coming here, and that's how he's treated. Is there any shock that maybe my life could be difficult as well? No, because the existence of evil is a reality, and that evil is prevalent in the world that we currently live in. And the next one, no. Totally gone. Romans 5, 12-14. Therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man, well, one man and one woman, um, and death, <clears throat> you know what death is? It's a metaphor. It's a metaphor for separation from God. When God created man, they were to live forever. They were mortal. Okay, but, but they were getting everything they needed from God, directly, everything. Everything was being satisfied directly from God. And when they sinned, that separated them from the source of everything that they needed. And so one of the aspects for God to demonstrate that to them was, you're no longer physically going to live forever. Now there will be death, death in your world, death of you, and you will, need, you will cause death to support yourself. You'll kill animals. You'll kill whatever else you got to kill. You'll kill other people if you think, think that they're threatening your existence. Death is now the rule on earth. So the consequences of that one rebellion created death for every person born from that point on. For indeed was in the world before the law was given, but sin is not counted where there's no law. Death spread to men because all men have sinned. Yet death reigned from Adam to Moses, even over those whose sinning was not like the transgression of Adam, who was the type of the one to come. Why is life so harsh? Because man sinned. And the consequences of that sin was separation from God. And the consequences of separation from God is the abundance of of pain and evil. And that is the world we all live in. Now, it's not to say there isn't any hope. Okay. <clears throat> Oops. There we go. Good news, bad news. Good news, bad news. <clears throat> Did I miss one? I think I got to go back. Three. Yeah, I missed the good news. Here we go. As you know, after my brother passed away, um, we went through a really difficult time of questioning in my own life, questioning God, being angry with God. Um, he gave me this this passage. 1 Peter 1, 3 through 7, or 3 through 8, actually, and a little bit more, but 
Because this was the good news and bad news that I was trying to reconcile in my own mind when life was so painful, I couldn't function. I loved my brother dearly, and I got a call on a Friday saying that he had collapsed on the sidewalk and the paramedics were performing CPR. And the pain, it went on, and we ended up going down to Harborview, and they told us in a small room that he had passed away. I didn't think pain like that was possible, and it was completely overwhelming. And then I began to think, God, if you allow me to go through this, there's no limit to the things that you allow me, and I don't think this is right or fair. I don't think it's very loving. God directed me to this passage. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, for according to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again into a living hope through the resurrection of Christ from the dead, into an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, unfading, and kept for me in heaven, who by God's power, me, my, me, who by God's power am being guarded through faith for a salvation that's ready to be revealed at the end. And in this, in that, in those things, in that fact, in that reality, my future, in that reality, I can rejoice, though for now, if necessarily, and evidently it was necessary, I have been grieved and was horribly grieved by these trials. So that, The tested genuineness of my faith, which is more precious than gold, though it perishes even though it's tested by fire, my faith could be found to result in praise and glory and honor when Jesus returns. Because even though I haven't seen him, I love him. And though I don't see him now, I believe in him, and I rejoice with a joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory. Good news, bad news. Good news is, I know where I'm going. Bad news is, in the meantime, it hurts. And I understand better why it hurts so much. I still don't like it, but I understand it more. And God has given me that experience to say, next time, you don't have to be as angry, as disappointed with me, as fearful that something else is as equally as bad is going to happen. Because you're starting to understand the reality about who I am and who you are. One question down. We'll move on to the others. Hopefully this helps. Understand how do I evaluate my life not based on my emotions, not based on what the culture thinks about it, not based on what the opinion of others is, but based on the truth of Scripture. I don't want to... I'm not a fear-monger kind of person. I don't see it out of the realm of possibility that the world is going to get very complicated very soon. I hope I'm wrong. 
But if we don't go into what could be a massive worldwide trial, understanding the reality and the hope of Scripture, you're going to be very easily responding emotionally in a way that is not good for you and is not glorifying to God. As we go through and examine these different viewpoints from Scripture, how do I view God? How do I view myself? How do I view others? How do I view my world? How do I view my circumstances? How do I view my future? That it will give you the correct response to help us navigate in a biblical way through the trials that this life is going to bring. That's my hope. We'll continue on. Let's pray. Um, Dear Father, sometimes you confuse me and sometimes my life confuses me. Sometimes Scripture confuses me and I don't understand. Um, But I really want to. I really want to serve the the God that's the, the God of the Bible. I really want to look at myself the way you do and others the way you do and my life the way you do, my future the way you do. Help us, Lord, seek this truth, understand it when we see it, and then gain the skill, Lord. That's what I, We need to gain the skill to go to your word when we're overwhelmed by the trials and, and really look for the truth of our reality based on what you say and not what we feel and not what the world says. And so, Lord, we need, we need, we need that skill. And we need you to do that through your Holy Spirit and through the power of your word to change us and shape us in the reality that's really there. And so, Lord, we ask you and we're going to thank you in advance for how you're going to do that in us through the power of your Holy Spirit and the truth of your word as we study what the true biblical worldview is. And we just thank you again in advance and praise you and give you all the glory for the wonderful changes you'll make in our lives. In Jesus' name, amen.